Live from the Stoop with Robbie Digital. I hope everyone is well. Um, the days are going interestingly. Uh, winter has been like slow but fast at the same time. I haven't had apple cider. I didn't get the chance to see the balloons for the Thanksgiving parade. I usually try to do that the day before because they have them near the Museum of Natural History. But I didn't get the chance to do that. But nevertheless, you know, such is life. Um, I have a very special guest with me today. Um, it's it's crazy. I've known this person, I want to say, over 10 years, and we've only met in person maybe five. Five years into it? Five years. We've. I can count how many times I've seen you in real life. Damn. But I've known you. That's probably true. It's been more than five times, though, but that's probably true. Okay, so we'll say 10, but I've known you for 10. I'd be at home. This is true. <laughs> um, but yes, no, it's probably more. You were one of my first Twitter followers. Yes. So it's probably been like 13 or something. Probably. Yeah, well, 2009. Yeah. 2019, yeah. It's 2021. Nigga said 2019. Well, I'm thinking 10 years, oh, 2009, okay. Oh, you do math like that. Yeah. Heard you, heard you. Yeah. Um, One of the greatest minds I know. Um, Damn, that's a lot to live up to. I really don't like when people... I have to intro you. One of the greatest minds that I know. Um, she was pro black before it became popular. Uh, I love that. Lol. Term. <laughs> I love that coin term now. That that's fire to me. Um, she goes by a couple of names, but I'm gonna allow her to introduce herself. Hey everyone. Um, I am raw savvy, is what most people call me. But you know, my mama named me Christina, so I'm gonna say that my name's Christina. I am a culture writer and overall lover of all things black. Books, movies, people, everything. Like, if it's about black people, you could trust that I know it. Uh, and I'm always going to be online talking about that. So, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Uh, there's so much more that we I know, but I, I hate, and I think that's also like my writer brain. I hate mm -hmm. talking about myself. Okay. I find it difficult. I never know... Because I feel like I am so many things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to know most all of me to actually understand me, right? So yeah, I, I think because you've been following me for a really long time and you've seen the multifacetedness of me, yes. that you have a good grasp of who I am. But I think a lot of the difficulty I have with engaging in the public is that... Uh, I might say something and they might not get my humor because they don't also know that like that crude joke is rooted in so much like historicalness or like so much music knowledge or vastness. Like I never just say anything just to say it. Like everything that I say has weight. It's a gift and a curse. But Can be. I mean, that's just me. <laughs> I mean, like, like if we go back to 2009, um, I think we entered Twitter around the same time, and it was a very interesting space. Yeah, there were no rules yet. There weren't any rules. It was purely just free thought, and you just went with the flow and whatever case may, may be. I think uh, I found you through the J. Cole and Drake argument. It was very it? early I don't on. remember, but that sounds right. This is uh, both people I no longer like really listen to anymore. So let's see. This was um, 
the blueprint had just blueprint three had just came out. Oh, I love that time on Twitter. Oh and, my god. Uh, we had heard stars born, and you know we was like, who was this? This J Cole kid. I was obsessed with J Cole. Damn, it burns my heart yeah. to see what he has become for me. But yeah, I yeah that probably is right. And then I was always just dropping random like hip hop facts and stuff. This is true. And uh, that's when Lupe was like my all time. I was going through a really rough breakup at that time, but I did love Lupe. I had dedicated uh, Paris, Tokyo. I think every day in 2009, I tweeted a Lupe lyric, kind of like how you do your Wale caption. Yeah, I'm waiting for Wale to finally respond, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think the DC in him is just not going to respond. I feel like he does respond to positive stuff, but it's after responding to something negative. So maybe to call him a bitch or something and, uh, and it might happen. Yeah. Virgos are, he sees it though, because he's a Virgo. And I know I be seeing stuff and I just don't respond to it, but I appreciate it. So I know he sees it. He has to at this point. I'm the only one advocating for him. That's not true. Wally got mad <laughs> fans. <laughs> so yeah let's, yeah, let's jump back to 2009. I miss who I was back then. But I'm grateful that I grew from, grew from that person. Well, I mean, that's all growth, right? We were arguing on Twitter. We were trying to I figure out arguing. what it was. Uh, I, I was remember getting blocked left and right. Yeah, we were <laughs> at the time. I think I had just heard, I had just heard the warm up, and I was like, "Yeah, he's the J Cole is this the next rap messiah," and people was like, "Nah, this kid, this Toronto kid named Drake," and. Yeah, I was team J. Cole in that sense. Not I to remember. say that I didn't like Drake, because I feel like I put on a lot of people to Drake, because I really banged with Drake. Comeback season, all I banged with Drake. Um, but for me, um, I feel like J. Cole spoke to who I was as a college student. All of us. Who I was um, trying to find myself as someone who had daddy issues. Uh, someone who had to also figure like his biracialness and or his identity crises that came from his biracialness and his dadlessness and going to college and trying to find himself I really related to because I've always like felt like that like as a girl growing up um and I grew up in a Caribbean family so it was very much like this is what girls are supposed to do but I always rebelled against that not because I just wanted to be rebellious because that just wasn't who I didn't want to wear dresses uh, I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to go outside and play basketball with the guys. And like, it was just very, I was being molded into what girls are expected to be. And then once I found all these hobbies, like, yo, when 2009, when I was just like blogging and doing all that hip hop shit, I was also the only one of the only women doing it. So I was always felt isolated in the community that I found because it was always guys. Yeah. And then it was always like the people who would find me on Twitter would be like, oh, she don't know what she's talking about. She's a woman. Like, now it's kind of like, oh, people not going to say that out loud. But, like, back then, it yeah. was really that thing. Like, Yeah, people would be like, yo, that's bullshit. And like, yeah. Oh, so, and, yeah. Or, like, what you know. Or, like, and I, I remember I always used to have these conversations. And I'm like, yo, like, and then looking at people who were talking about hip-hop, I'm like, yo, this person don't know what the hell they talking about. Or they don't even know that this person exists. And I'm just like, yo, like, not me getting overlooked because I'm a woman, but like I literally, because I'm a woman in that space, I literally have to know more. It's kind of like also being black, right? So like when I'm in, when I enter these spaces and I'm the only black person, I have to be exceptional. I can't be mediocre. So when I enter a space and I'm the only black woman, I have to be quadruple that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, like now there's conversations happening around that and like there's community on social media based on that stuff.
But back then, there was there was very little people I could talk to about that or that understood that experience, right? Um, but yeah, I think I, 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 I clung to people who wrote about those things maybe because I, I couldn't find that anywhere else. Like I have to be a different version of myself in every group that I'm in. I think um, we all have that. It's difficult because you don't want to, but it, but it manifests itself. But I, I, I am not at my greatest when I have to do that. And so now looking at it close to 15 years later, a lot of the, pl- the spaces that I was in where I felt like I had to mold myself to fit in or like shield parts of myself to fit in, I no longer associate with. Agreed. Um, but I think a lot of people still do that. Um, and, and I think social media kind of highlights that like that superficial just existing to existing. Like I never been somebody that felt like I don't have FOMO. I never feel like I have to be places. Mm -hmm. I'm not a person that's just going to go talk to people about stuff. Like if I don't know something, I'm going to be quiet. And if I want to know more about it, I'm going to go do research. I'm going to go read a book. I'm going to talk to people who I know have lived that experience. And I don't think a lot of people do that. Um, no, a lot of people would come up with their own, ideas and uh to also coin a term that i got from you people create their own echo chambers so once they do word and then they have stupid opinions and find statistics and stuff that match those stupid opinions yo that'd be blowing (laughs) mine bro like we have phones and like we have these computers and stuff in our hands where we information is so accessible and instead of finding the information and allowing it to allow you to grow people are just looking for the thing that they can use to back up how they feel. That's social media, though. But I feel like social media is just highlighting what exists in the world. Like, my biggest gripe with social media, I don't use it as much as I used to, um, is that, like, are we really supposed to know all of this stuff about everybody all day? Someone said that to me recently. They was like, you're not supposed to. They feel like... You're not supposed to know how someone lives in Australia. You're yeah, not, like, you're not supposed you're to not know supposed these to know that. Like, and not to say that you're a travel. You're not supposed to. Not even to say you're not supposed to know it. You're not supposed to have access to it at the drop of a dime, all day, every day. And that's why a lot of people are addicted to social media because it's like they feel like, oh my god, there's so much that I need to know. But I also feel like that's why we don't have as many experts as we used to have. There's no more gatekeepers either. The same, the same. But I feel like gatekeeping wasn't all bad. Like no, that's the what gatekeeping I was about to say. that's gatekeeping like associated was... with like being sexist and racist and all that. Yeah, that's effed up, yeah. right? But like the craft, gatekeeping the art form, the craft and make and, and going through an apprenticeship, like those... studying people who have done it and lived the experience makes you a better person. That doesn't happen anymore. And not to say that things being democratized and people allow social media allowing people to start businesses and have access to an audience they wouldn't have before is wrong but i feel like i don't know like the things that get hyped up on social media aren't necessarily always for the benefit of the public well i think what what happened with that is we we watched it we we watched the things that we considered professions turn into hobbies that turned into professions right so with twitter Twitter became Twitter became a space where people who were blog writers, who were writers by trade or by profession, rather, Twitter created this space where people who weren't writers could become writers. 
in 140 characters because we're that old. So <laughs> now, or remember what, when you could tweet from a text? Remember when it was only on a BlackBerry app? Like it was just <laughs> like it was one of those things. So simpler times. Simpler, simpler times. So you go from that. You look at Instagram, where photography was a was a profession, and Instagram turned to the ability for everyone to be a photographer. So now the profession gets diluted, but we find new great people within that space. Yeah. But the occupation media is not. Is a Double-edged yeah. sword in that way, and now, but that but you create. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that you create the things that you like. You can curate, and curate curate is used so wrong. Like having worked at the the Schomburg and like worked with curators. When people on the internet say they curate stuff, it pisses me off because so much like dot connectors. Yeah, like so much has to go into like curating an exhibit or curating a thing so for you to be like or people to be like yeah i curate um i curate my instagram grid I, it just bothers me but no disrespect to anybody that does that but I, it just bothers me a little bit so like um you can control what you see and like so when people are complaining like oh my god y'all keep talking about this 200 dollars date and this booty and stuff it's like i don't see that no more because i I'd be muting stuff. I'd be like, you know what I'm saying? I want to see informational stuff. I want to joke from time to time. You know, I also don't like following people who just are desensitized to, to, to black violence. So like they're retweeting black people getting beat up all the time. Like as soon as you do that, I'm blocking you. I don't care who you are. Like you could be my mother. If I, if you just randomly retweet that and it, it's a video that's playing of something that I don't want to see, I'm blocking you because I think you should also be conscious of, um, the things that you put out into the world for other people to see, right? Because that stuff like that blows my blows my whole day. Like I still have yet to seen the George Floyd video, and even though it has billions of views and like is like the one of the most viewed like recorded deaths, I don't, I cannot do it. Like that's how much I love black people. I think I think it's important though, right? Because when to to value a life unseeing not seeing it is just as important as seeing it because when you don't see it you it doesn't weigh how you feel about your community and about your people and then if you do see it now you don't have that same viewpoint and that's I, very I difficult I, I think only because say, I know because okay, I've seen I, friends who's gone through it right so I would say for me because I already know how the system works and I know the, the statistics of how often that happens because I, I also have to worry about like before in 2009, I probably didn't, wouldn't have been as effective, but because now I'm the mom to a black son and I have to worry about Like I worry about constantly, like I have anxiety. I worry about constantly of like when the world's going to get home. Like not me trying to be on some like keeper, like of his yeah. life, but it's like, yo, like I have a vivid worriedness my brothers, like everybody, black people in general, but men specifically, because they are a little more um, targeted. So like, and that's why I don't want to see it, because it's just going to heighten that anxiety. And that's one of the things that I think from 2009 till now, a lot of people could tell you, like, I've never shied away from talking about my depression. I've never shied away from talking about my anxiety, um, because I think people need to know that. Like uh, Jason um, Reynolds, this, this YA writer that I really, really love, he was on, I forgot what talk show he was on the other night, but he was like, you know, the way to like normalize 
anxiety and stuff like that is to talk about it because when you don't talk about it that's what enhances the stigma around it and i really feel like that's true like in the last 10 years i couldn't tell you the amount of people that have been like yo thank you for that time you shared when you were sad because i felt really sad and i knew i could come to you and talk about it like and it's not something that i could talk to about other people so like there's great moments that i've had on social media i just as the empath and the person who is like very critical and anxious I can't use it as much as I used to because all of that stuff walks with me. So speaking of that, this is also in a time where you're in college. Well, I'm in grad school. Well, now you're, well, undergrad, undergrad, I apologize, when you were at Fordham University. So how was that balancing that in that space as well? So I am very much against institutions in general. Um, I go to... I've went to PWIs because I understand what I can leverage with the connections that I've made there. Um, And so I kind of sit through the sacrifice I have to make as a black person who creates very black things. Like I write about, uh, like my last project was about like um, black women in fashion and like after George Floyd did all of these companies that started DEI in DEI groups and task force and stuff really do anything to help what we experience on a day to day. And so I had to do a lot of research and stuff on that. But like, no, all of that is like symbolism. Like, uh, so I, I, it's always tough for me, but, and I said this somewhere else, um, that work is also what makes me whole. Like, you know, like I don't fully know my purpose, but I know, how I feel when I'm advocating for people because I know what it feels like to not have had anyone advocate for me. I know what it feels like to sit in the classroom amongst your white peers and you know your professor who is also white is talking about the ghetto and everyone looks at you like, or like you know what I'm saying or like people it's don't like, like uh, everybody hates Chris moment when the teacher would always go to Chris and be like, "Cause your dad's not." And around, that's right? why it's funny because and that's why and and I. And I Things like that are why it's so smart and genius and funny because those are experiences that people have that they may not have been able to express in that humorous way, right? So, and that's the stuff I could relate to. But, um, you know, and I and I push through and 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 so maybe that's why. I, but I also talk to my therapist about this, and she's like, "Yeah, but you have to find time to like not be in those situations so that you can actually have joy and like not be stressed all the time." Um, but I remember, I don't know what was, the tweet was like, I don't want to talk about, ra- I don't, there wasn't racism. I don't want to talk about racism right now or colonialism. We're at a birthday party. But yeah. like, that's really where my mind be at all the time. <laughs> and some of the shit I'd be finding funny. Like, oh damn, nobody's going to find it funny right now. But I, well, I think that's our humor though. I think yeah, that's one thing that's always connected I have very dark humor. And I, I, that's also a part of like my depression. I feel like, like I'm self-deprecating. I find dark moments funny. Um, uh, I think my parents have always, I'll never forget this. Someone died in the, fu- someone died and we all had to, you know, get dressed and go to the funeral and whatever. And I was like, no one, no one can call first. Like just, you just die out of nowhere. Like you don't leave a note. Like this is really, I gotta go out of my way to go get dressed to see you. Like that's really you selfish. Yeah. I was like, that's really selfish. And my mom is just like, yo. Rob, you won't see heaven like this. And I'm like, you're right. I maybe. mean. But I'm like, I'm like, well, they won't be there either because so. <laughs> and I would probably, and this is my asshole stuff, as a, as a younger person, and even now, I probably would have been like, mom, is heaven even real? Yeah, How you know what I mean? Know? Um, but you know, <laughs> totally. like. But that's this, I think, 
those are my defense mechanisms. Yeah, those are my defense mechanisms. And I also think that they're those kind of people. We need the person who's in the middle. You need the comedian. You need that person in the group who can see the beauty and the sadness and find the silver lining. You have to have. I remember back in 2009 (laughs) when men was on Twitter talking about women. It's not funny. And I'd be like, yo, women really be funny because they have to be funny. Some women are funny and some women find things funny. It's very different. Okay, but women can be funny. There was a rhetoric going around that women are not funny. Like, I do remember that. So speaking of like just writing in general, when did you fall in love with writing? And reading, because they both go hand in hand. I mean, yeah, I don't think a lot of people will agree with that, but they do. Um, I think I fell in love with, I don't know when I fell in love with reading. I'm not going to sit here and craft a story like everybody else does. Yes, when I was in third grade. Um, so, <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate um, it. I really don't have good memory, which is also like a side effect of like my anxiety. But um, I do know that I was always an avid reader. And there's this like, my mom loves to tell people. So I used to go visit like my dad and stuff. And my sister's like 10 months younger than me. And when she was four, so I had to have been five, I taught her how to read. Like, this five-year-old little kid is teaching this four-year-old, and I taught her how to read. And everyone loves telling that story. I also taught my other younger siblings how to read. Retro started reading at two. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's just something that I've always connected with. And I think that also was, like, me being around trauma as a little kid. Like, so my, my parents were teenage parents. Uh, my grandma died when, when I was, like, four. So I moved from her house to my aunt's house. And it was just, like all of these like young adults trying to raise all these kids and grieve their mother, which they never really did. And so like, I was kind of just lost in the wind and I always felt like I never belonged. Um, and that's probably also the daddy issue stuff, but I started reading and, 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 and it allowed me to escape. And, and I can say that now looking back, like, yo, I was a really sad kid. Um, and I, I didn't know, I didn't have the language to voice that and reading gave me that language. Uh, granted, the circumstances of my household might not have given me the language to express that as a kid. But as I got older and, you know, I've went to therapy, I'm able to talk to my mom in a way that is helping me grow and also helping me to forgive her as a parent. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, and reading did that for me. Um, I think, and all through my life, cause I remember when I was in middle school, um, and reading wasn't always cool. Like now that we have bookstagrams and all these people, like, Reading wasn't always cool. So that's also a benefit of social media is like I found community. I found book lovers. But like I never used to like tell people like I was smart or that I could read because it's like, yo, you're like they would call me a teacher's pet. And then once I got into this gifted and talented program and I went to a middle school um, downtown or whatever, and I was like one of two black people. When I would, when the, when the, when the, when the non, when the white kids and the Asian kids found out I was smart, they bullied me. Like, oh, you're not supposed to be smarter than us. Like, well, you have some nerve. Like, yo, and that's the why audacity, the conversations now. The audacity of your intelligence. Right. But that's why when I see conversations now about like, oh, we don't want to teach about race in school and all that. Like, young kids be racist. They, and they do mean things because that's what they learn at home. And so it's just like, whatever. So, yeah, like. My vice principal in middle school, I was in sixth grade or seventh grade. So I was like 12. 11 or 12, she introduced me to James Baldwin. Um, my mom, once she found out I liked reading, she, you know, she gave me all the, all the black greats. Toni Morrison. Um, I still have her copy of Things Fall Apart. Like, she was giving me, like, you know, though my mom was a teenage mom, she had the insight to be like, let me expose this little girl to other stuff. Like, 
she when she was working, uh, her her and her coworker would take her. She was really close with a coworker. She was like a disco singer, so they would take me to like disco concerts because my mom knew I loved music. Uh, another one, they would take us to like a Broadway plays and all that, like you know. And and looking at that in hindsight, it's like my mom did all that, and and she probably had a regular ass job where she probably couldn't afford to do it, but she made sure that I was able to do that. Like you know, put me in in, in dance classes, had me learn an instrument, you know was giving me allowance every day so that I could go out to lunch with my friends. And, and it's just like, yo, like looking back at that, it's like, yo, she never let me know what our circumstances were, but she also prepared me to be the person that I am now. That's very deep. I think, um, as adults now, shit, I, I look at my paycheck and I'm like, if I had to split this with people, I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably know shoot myself. I'm so fortunate <laughs> enough to be like, yo, I don't have those problems no more, but if my mom never instilled some of that stuff in me, I wouldn't be on a path. I wouldn't have the career that I have today. And I'm so blessed to say that I have I have this career where I don't have to really think about money. I mean, I still have to think about it because I ain't rich. But I did that propping up black art or, or, or black people. Like, And I'm so proud of that. As much as I might complain about the institutions that I work for or how they make me feel, like I really made a living out of being who I am and being authentic. When did you fall in love with writing? It went hand in hand. Um, so it did go hand in hand. It did go hand in hand. I think the reading came first. And then I tell my mom this all the time because I'm from a Caribbean family. Like when I used to like, I used to love, well, I still love rap. But I love poetry. But rap was like, it's poetry. But that was my thing. So I used to write in a... I used to always be like singing songs and like rapping along the songs and you know Jamaican people oh make sure you know your mats like you know the, the lyrics or whatever and I used to, and I used to be like I do because you know I was a smart ass yeah. little kid with a with a rude mouth but I used to like and that was also how I learned things I was I was so freaking smart as a kid so I would um, before I could have started rap genius I tell my mom this all the time like because <laughs> I used to take my mead notebook and I used to write down rap lyrics and I'm about to age myself and I used to pull out the encyclopedia to look up certain stuff or the, the, the um, the dictionary or whatever to find out the meanings of words. And I, I'd be like, yo, rap don't be teaching kids words no more because let me tell you, Ghostface taught me a lot of fucking words. But... Um, you may be the only <laughs> one. I promise you um, all love and respect to the the the, the Wu-Tang Clan. But okay, I no Wu-Tang Clan. No, I'm, all I'm saying is I never understood what the fuck they were saying. No, but that's what I'm saying. Until I got older. No, but that's what I'm saying. So like when... I, I was little and I like in the way retro is curious about objects. I was curious about words. So if I didn't know something, I'm pulling out every resource I had to try to figure it out. And then I would also go to like my uncle or, or whatever and ask him a question. And he'd be like, Oh, why are you asking me that? Or whatever. And I would observe and analyze and then figure it out. Like, Oh, this is what they're talking about. Um, and so, yeah. And I remember like when I was nine, I have a, I wrote an essay about this when I was nine, or 10 when The Miseducation came out and Doo-Wop, that thing was the song. I remember one day I was walking around singing it and my mom was like, yo, what's that thing she's talking about? And I was like, I don't know, lady. I had my whole Birds and the Bees conversation right there. And then after that, because she was a teenage mom, she made me watch 15 and Pregnant on Lifetime. And that was my introduction to like, girl, like... It's better than kids. Kids would have terrified <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I love kids. A lot of people don't like that movie. Yo, it's a sad movie. It is sad, but like... It's a life lesson well, well, you know what? If you take away the obvious... But that's how they are. And this is what I'm going to say. Kids was my life in middle school. Like, rich, white kids really do stuff like that. Yeah. Like, and a lot of stuff, I would be like, nah, my mom going to kick my ass. I ain't doing that with y'all. Like, you know, and, that, and that's the cultural difference that I feel like 
leads to some of the stuff like you know when you know like as a mom you could be like as a as a mom you'd be like yeah I give my child that look and they know not to do nothing like I don't feel like they have that and so that to me was like yo y'all are really wild yeah like <laughs> if I ever I'll never forget when I moved back up here from South Carolina to New York uh my homeboy at the time when we was in school he stole cars that was the shit like he just liked stealing cars and every day he'd be like yo Rob you want to ride uptown no <laughs> But I'm saying that we live in the same area. I know. But that car is not yours. And I cannot get in that car. And he's like, wow. I was like, yo, my mom would used to beat me every day as a kid. And she would beat me even if I didn't do anything. Just so if I thought about it, I got beat for it. So now nah, I'm not getting in this car with you. Yeah, no. So I think that's that's one thing Like I, I feel like social media did do. Uh, shout out to Taki. Taki always says this, that social media made black people all realize that we were all distant relatives because there's no way across the diaspora. Yeah. Diasporally speaking, there's no way in the world that a kid in New York can have the same experience that you can't drink this Kool-Aid without finish your din- finishing your dinner in California. There's just certain things that we just relate to automatically. And it's weird that it, it's it, like that. It isn't weird. Cause if you, if you and this is where books are so amazing and and like my love for research comes in when you research so like prime example when you research something and you realize how far roots run over we black people took parts of their culture from africa and continued those traditions anywhere they went And, and and it's stuff that we pass on from generation to generation and i think that that's so amazing um apart from like what white supremacy and colonialism affected, um, like the spanking of the kid. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not surprising and I get people will say it's surprising, but like, yo, we, we survived slavery, bro. Why would y'all think that we wouldn't be connected in this way? I think it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) like we, we magical people for real. It is. I think it's the, I think what it is is just when you see it, it's so like, no, that's what I'm saying. It's like, damn, but like, like, but when you, like, when I'm reading about, like, slave revolts and, like, just, re- like, reading how rebellious black people really were, because they don't teach you that in school. They want to, they want us to believe that, like, yeah, we were enslaved and we didn't do nothing and whatever. But, like, yo, slaves was really out here revolting every damn day trying to get free, bruh. Yeah. And that's why, and I, I didn't want to bring this up, but that's why when Kanye was on D- TMZ talking about slavery was a choice. I got so tight because I'm like, yo, like your platform's too big for you to be that ignorant. But then I remember I had to remind myself the man said he don't read. Um, so why would he ever know that? This man also made me believe half of my life that he was a backpack loving, sample loving genius. All right, never, never mind, never mind. No, and, uh, but I'm saying, and and that's yes. why to me it'd be like, yo, and I want to be that. I know I want to be an educator, but I specifically want to teach black people about our power. Cause I grew up in a household where like my uncle, he was in college at the time. Me, me, my cousin and my other, like me and my cousins, he would make us listen to MLK speeches and Martin Luther King speeches and deliver to him like what was happening in them and, and, and making sure we understood that black people were powerful. And I'm like, yo, like looking back, hindsight really is a motherfucker. Cause I'm like, yo, these people all radicalized me in so many different ways to understand my power. Like I was doing, for my capstone project, I was working on like uh, tracing like uh, cultural cultural influence on DNA or whatever, right? 
um, and I found out that my family is related to one a, a writer from Jamaica who used to use her her writing to like protest like you know the English rule or whatever, and and I was talking to members of my family and I talked to my mom's uncle, so my grand uncle, and I found out like yo my my uncle was out there protesting and bringing my little like bringing my little cousins and stuff with him. Or they're not my little cousins, but when my older cousins, when they were little, bringing them to protest with him. And my, I'm like, yo, like, that type of stuff really be in your DNA. Like, Kendrick wasn't lying. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's just for you to realize how to utilize it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that also ties into, like, Jay-Z saying everybody has, like, some level of genius that they have to unlock. But that is, that's what I'm saying about, like, yo, we live in a, in a country that don't want people to realize that. And they do everything in their power to make sure that people don't have the language or the resources to live in their greatness. And when I say people, I mean black people. I agree. I, I mean, shit, what? I was, I remember all through school, um, they would always tell my mom, like, yo, Rob is really talkative. He doesn't pay attention. He, he can, he can, has his way of, like, bringing attention to a crowd in class and he's disruptive. And now that I look back now and I'm like, look at you now, I wanted to speak. I always loved to speak. And I think like, even when I was, um, when I was in church as a kid, like I loved the moment I got to talk on the podium and have to read a poem or give the Sunday announcements for Sunday school. It was something about that, that I always kind of like, wanted to do and I think it's probably because I saw my dad do it as a young age like you know we had our issues you know coming from a single parent household but going to church on Sunday like the way the church looked at him and the roles that he had in the moment that he would speak I knew it was a very powerful thing to see people to see him speak see the pastor speak and people listen and I was like yo I want that I want to be able to speak and people just have this 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 thing. So I think you're right. Like it takes time for you to unlock that genius. But I think the moment you do it, the next step is how do you use that genius to go forward? And that's always know how to do it. That's the hardest part. I think shit. I feel like people will look at me and say, you're inspirational and you're doing all these things. I don't, I just, I just go, I don't know. There's like no formula to it. Mm -hmm. I just, and, and, and I feel like for the last month or so, I'm, for the last two years, I've been grieving, like, just different parts of, like, living through COVID, being a working mom, uh, being in grad school at this time where, like, we're, we're confronting racism, but not really, and being the only black person in the room, or... Yep. This episode of Live from the Stoop Podcast is sponsored by the Subway Sound Network. Do you have a podcast and you're looking for a place to record? Need editing and engineering done for your show? Subway Sound Network is the best place to record uptown. Email subwaysoundnetwork at gmail.com and type in the title. What would you type? I don't know. I don't know. What would you type? Let me see. What would you type? Ah, you would type stoop50 to receive $50 off your first podcast recording. Subway Sound Network, voice of the people, voice of the streets. Now back to the show let's go assigned to a dei project because i i was the only black person available to do it like i was grieving so many parts of existing as a black person and it's so exhausting um that i feel like me 
just writing or doing the work to get where I want to do is the only thing that pushes me forward. It's the only place I feel like my whole complete self. Um, and so I kind of just take the good with the bad. Like, How you, was COVID? I meant to ask, that. that's one thing I've been... I didn't have COVID. But no, the COVID through like being in in, in, in school being yeah it was terrible i i literally and i talked to my other my other close friend was in med school at the time um and we continuously had conversations we would check in with each other because i tell you every time that i had to log into zoom i would turn my camera off in class and cry was it the was it missing the interaction or just no i didn't i didn't it wasn't the missing the interaction it was being in a classroom of people who don't look like you who are kind of like theorizing about the value of your life, but still not getting the humanity in, in your existence or not understanding. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, after, think about this. After George Floyd or whatever happened, why Curriculum was it? change. Hmm? I'm assuming the curriculum, everything changes in. No, but it's every, it's what they wanted to talk about. And it's like, yo, why are we even in class right now? Like what? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? The same thing kind of happened when Kobe died. Like, I was at work and like, I was really sad and like, mm-hmm. I wish I had a black person to be sad. And I'm not even a basketball fan like that. But, like, yo, like, there are certain black figures that you just have to respect. And, like, even when Virgil died, I didn't expect to be as sad as I've been about it because I had my gripes with him. But I understood his power as a black person in the spaces that he permeated. And and to me, though, it's like, yo, like, yo, like, Virgil died, then Greg Tate died, then one of my close friends just had a death. And it's just like, yo, throughout COVID, I feel like, and I said this yesterday, I think, to one of my friends or in the group chat. I was like, yo, I don't think I have an idol who's li- grown to be an old person besides Toni Morrison. That's really deep. I don't like. And old, I mean, in like life. 80, and, uh, 80 yeah. and up. Like, no. James Baldwin, no. DMX, no. Like, I'm talking about people that really got me into writing. Greg Tate, no. 64. Like, and I've been dealing with that, like, just back to back to back to back to back. It's it's interesting that you you mentioned that because I think that a lot of the people that I was introduced to as a kid were already old. So I knew by the time I got old, they weren't going to be around. Like I remember at fifteen, like my goal of mine was to meet Nelson Mandela, and I was like, I got to meet Nelson Mandela before he dies. There's no way I was going to meet Nelson Mandela before he died. <laughs> like he, he was been really exceptional. You don't know that. I could have, but I'm just saying that the. the the goal, like, at this point, like, I'm like, damn, I got to meet Morgan Freeman eventually now. Like, like, I, like, I'm really, like, death is looming mm. for me. And then it's also like, damn, I got, I got a lot of work to do. But how can I do that under capitalism? Because <laughs> <laughs> I still got to eat. So it's just like, you know. And, and but then do they feel, do they fulfill their life's purpose? Because I think that's. I don't think you die until you do not to be funny no that's what i'm saying like i think we look at the people who have who has passed away and we we grieve them but you also look at the work they've left and it's like but i don't know if i want to leave work for the masses in the way they have like for me i think knowing that i've changed hit change the lives of the people close to me is good enough for me which is what I've also been grappling with as like yo I want to write because I don't think I want to share my like I've been writing crazy during COVID I've shared probably 10% of it because I feel like it's too personal 
and and I know other things that I've shared for work, which have been more topical cultural stuff. I get negative feedback about like because people know I'm a feminist or I believe these things. Whenever I post about it, I get the nastiest remarks and everything. And I've just been thinking about what that means for me as somebody on social media, like because I, I don't want to. I find myself folding to that. Like damn, I like if I write something and I'd be like, damn, somebody's gonna take it the wrong way. I I live in that space for too long, and I think that that's what's wrong about social media itself, I should be able to create something wholly that is me and put it out in the world. And if I want to change my mind 10 years from now, I should be allowed to do that. Um, One of the quotes that lives with me, remember when uh, Starbucks used to put quotes on the cups? Yes. Um, My favorite quote was from Dr. Cornell West that said, if you don't love the people, you can't lead the people. I'm taking his master class right now. Smart man. I mean, I have some interest with his politics, but amazing man i've only i've met him twice in my life so i'm like good on that book i got that checked off i want to meet cornell west you know what's so crazy so i went today in vegas to see kendrick in covid as covid paranoid as i am i went to a freaking festival yeah which you had to like this <laughs> no and my mom was like christina and i said bro the last time that someone that i revered a music artist that i revered had a concert that i could have afforded to go to and didn't go to they died a couple months later prince so uh, I'm no longer I'm no longer missing out on stuff like that. And during the Kendrick concert, I wrote about this, and I'm gonna post it somewhere because I have to share it. Um, I saw a shooting star. I, I I saw somebody who I feel like yo, people say people like Kendrick's music literally saved my life. Like, like in moments where I had suicidal ideations or thoughts, I put on Sing About Me or I put on To Pimp a Butterfly, and it really like him, Frank Ocean, Kid Cudi, like literally like you know um so to be in that moment and kendrick has really like introspective depressing songs to be in that moment and watch him on stage own it and be be happy because he wasn't performing them in the way that he did i i'm a kendrick fan so i've been to every kendrick concert that has happened in new york city so (laughs) um i know what you mean to see that growth and that like he made it he is okay with who he is. And I was like, I, that inspired me. Like, yo, I'm not always going to feel like this. Because I tell you, every time somebody says something bad to me on Twitter or something, I'd be like, y'all don't be knowing what the fuck I go through. Like, for me to even be on here kind of fake joking with y'all or whatever or posting the things I'm posting took a lot. Because some, some days I can't even pour water for myself. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's the shit people don't want to hear, but it's true. And then it's like every time somebody dies, like when Virgil died or when Chadwick died and everybody's like, oh damn, we was just making fun of him. We're going to be more, we're going to be more polite to the people and their experiences. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Oh yeah, I never, so that's one thing that um, I learned early on with podcasting and, and speaking. Communication is irreplaceable. I don't care what anyone says. You can apologize for something. You can, you can have growth. But you need to acknowledge the moment that you said it and why you said it and how you felt and be aware and take accountability of why it meant what it meant when you said it. You may not have that feeling now, but acknowledge it. And I think when you mentioned Kendrick, I, I think about, um, I, oddly enough, I think about Joe Button. He said once that like... Oh, he's my problematic fave. Yeah, like he was <laughs> like, you know, you... You take a year's time to write this god-awful depressive music, mm-hmm. and then you put the album out. 
people live with it. They also see that, feel that energy. And then three months, three to six months later, you go on tour and you have to perform this music with the same exact emotion in which you were writing it from. So when you say that you saw Kendrick and you could see that a lot of those songs, he didn't have that same emotion, that's real growth. And I, and I challenge you in the same light. I think that the purpose is always bigger than ourselves, right? So as I, as I started podcasting and doing this space more, the goal was like, when I'm not here, I want some kid, and this for you as well, I want some kid in second grade to say, hey, like, I want to do my Black History Project on Ross Avi, and I want another kid to say, damn, I wanted to do her. I think that should always be the I goal. I don't think I want that for myself. Like, I tell my, I tell people now, like, yo, I'm really going to put in my will. Like, when I die, I don't want... Like, if you don't know my middle name and you don't know, I don't want you to post no picture of, of me saying you knew me. I don't want you to post any of our text conversations. Like just That's let weird. Me, I, no, all of it is weird. I feel like because it becomes so insular, like a lot of the reactions that I read to Virgil dying, everyone wrote about them. Most people wrote about themselves. Like, yeah, Virgil died and it made me think about this for myself. But it's like... Virgil was an exceptional person. He did some great things. Why are we writing about how how we feel about him dying? Or like what I really was pissed off about is like, oh my God, he 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 had to die in private. Why? Do, I, and I don't want that. I don't want I don't want strangers to feel like they knew me like that. I don't. And that's what I grapple with as a writer. Like, do I want to put art art out in the world? Because even the art that I love, I don't like. I can see myself and I can honor it for the greatness that it is. But I would never feel like I know. I would never feel like I know Frank Ocean. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know the art you put out that 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 changed who I am as a person or made me want to write more layered, but I don't know you. Like, and that's why I find Stanage Stanage weird. Like, like I I I like it, I should be able to say, I should be able to critique something and not have people attack me and try to dox me on the internet because I, I didn't like something. And that's that that's what I that's what I don't want. And that's my fear as a as as but I, I need to write to, to live. Like that's my whole place. So I'm going to just write and keep it in the book. If my child wants to publish it one day when I'm gone, he has the right to do that because that's my kid. That's, I wonder if that's how we grapple with as creatives though, right? Because as a creative, I think that it's also expression, but it's also in some forms we become, we become, critics of public opinion or we become servants of public opinion and that's something that's always hard to grasp and what I mean by that is like I look at someone like a speaker or like an educator and the numerous amount of people that we've mentioned in this interview where they get paid for how they speak or the art that they put out or whatever the case may be good bad and indifferent and I'm like that frustrates me sometimes because it's like if you don't want that critique or you don't want the criticism then you can opt to keep it to yourself but if you don't feel like you can keep it to yourself then when you put it out you know then what? that has to that's going to come with i it. think so i saw tyler perform at day in vegas too and he performed when he before he he introed a song off a of cherry bomb and he said something about Cherry Bomb, and the whole crowd erupted like, yeah. And he said, fuck out of here, y'all. Y'all ate me up for that album. Stop acting like you like it now. And I was like, yo, 
that was the most fire thing to me to say. Like, I love his personality overall, but like, he's aight with knowing, like, yeah, y'all didn't fuck with that, but like, y'all want to fuck with it now because I'm this cool person now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the y'all first weren't, two albums were creepy as fuck. Y'all weren't able to, but this is Cherry Bomb. I feel like that was the cusp of that him. was that was the, that was that the, was the term. That but was people did like critics did like rip it to shreds. I think that's probably my favorite Tyler album. But um, he, seeing him as a a person saying that, like, I'm like, yo, more people should say that. And they probably would feel better if they're if they're honest about like, because it's just a fucking critique, bro. But I get it as somebody that writes. Like, if you don't like, it's one thing to not like my writing, but to pull it apart is a different thing. But I also speaking about Greg Tate and his writing, I feel like critique could be art. It can. But I but do people sit with, with things long enough now anymore to even be artful in their critiques? I don't think so. Like, no. me, and, me and Noel have this conversation all the time. He hates, like, critics or whatever. But I'm like, they're important. Because I know, like, like from like for me, like, working with editors or even in being, grad, being in grad school, like, some of the critiques are valid. And they've pushed me past the point I was supposed to be. So, like, if, if people didn't shit on Cherry Bomb, you think Igor and all the stuff, Flower Boy or whatever, all the stuff that came after that would have been what it is? Probably not. And I think also what happens, too, is when you create art or or, you know, whatever is your your form of expression, the story's not fully told. So for us to... Now when you look at an album like Cherry Bomb and you look at Goblin and then you look at Igor and Flower Boy and Call Me If You're Lost, you can look at that as one... Like, as a, like a trilogy, like a movie set now. Like, mm-hmm. now you see the full transformation of this human. From where they at, from the one point, all to where they are now, and I think I use Jay Z a lot in that as well. Like I think, for me, when I look at like Jay Z's albums, I'll look at like if I had to teach a class, it would be the Black Album. It would be Reasonable Doubt, The Blueprint, The Black Album, and then 444. And the reason why is because for me, those albums are very major marks in his. Career. There's albums in between that, but I think those pillar moments for you to start as Jay Z and then your last album, you talking about killing Jay Z, is very interesting to me. Like for those, for me, I look at you can't, I can't judge art read, for all of it. Did you read Michael E. Dyson's book on Jay Z? I haven't read that. I read the Decoded book when when Hove did it, but um, no. shout out to Dream Hampton for writing the fuck out that book. But Dream um, Body that dried that book. I think. Michael E. Dyson's like overall um, writings on Jay Z as all of the like his career and things like that is kind of touches on what you're talking about. Um, I, don't I just know, don't I, think I, you can cover. You can't just you can't take someone's but life the, and just critique it for that one moment. You have to wait to see the but, whole story. But then it's out. also what I think you're missing is that people are like. You got to separate the art from the person. That's bullshit. The art is the person. For me, like for me, like I I know a lot of other people may not feel that way. For me as a writer, I feel like everything that I write comes from some portion of myself. Absolutely. So yes, it's me. Maybe Lauren Hill has this great clip from her Unplugged that's going viral on Twitter again where she says um, she has to she had to reintroduce herself to her parents because they didn't know who she was. And she didn't know who she was because she continues to change and grow every day. And I think that that's true. But I think, like we said earlier, people don't 
Like if I, if you do, and we see this on Twitter, if you did something at 20 and now you're 40 and you made amends with that and you've corrected it, they're going to bring that back up. Well, you said this when you were 20 and think that like, there's no room for evolution. And so I think it's funny when I see people who are quick to like cancel people, even though I cancel people personally in my own life because whatever, but when they're quick to cancel a public figure who they don't know or whatever, um, they don't leave room for growth. They're not, they don't leave. And you can't be a full human without having made mistakes. I agree. There has to be some, like, we all are in this tapestry of humanity. And we can't just judge it for that one moment. Like, if you didn't let, if you would have killed Malcolm Little, we never would have gotten Malcolm X. But people, and you Mm. went to the exact example I was going to use. People don't know the real evolution of Malcolm X. They just want to do the... Uh, the gun at the window thing. That's who they know. But it's like, yo, like, I remember I had a meeting and I must have said, like, you know, you know, he was a sex worker at some point in time because he needed to feed himself, whatever, whatever. And everybody's like, what? And, and it's just like, yo, you didn't know that? Like, yeah, like, there's mad books about Malcolm Little and Detroit Red and all, how he got to where he was and how in jail he really blossomed into Malcolm X. And I'm like, y'all don't leave room for people to grow like that no more. Y'all would have, like, the way they be going on and on about certain stuff, I'm like, y'all would have hated Malcolm X back in the day. Y'all would have hated Muhammad Ali. Y'all would have hated Martin Luther King. Y'all, like, what? And I'd be like, and that's also my fear is, like, when people are having these conversations about race and they're taking Malcolm X or they're taking MLK quotes out of context, like, yo, like, I don't want anybody to, like, I, I am creating work. For my younger self, I want a black girl from the Bronx who was supposed to fall to every fucking odd. Like I wasn't, I was not supposed to be where I was at. I was born early. I had a heart murmur. Like, like I was not supposed to be here. And I have defied every odd stacked up against me to do what I do. And I want, and I want ownership of that and to say what to do with it. And I want someone who is like me from the places I come from to also understand the power in that. Because, like, yo, when I'm in these rooms and I'm the people that are owning these black stories, yeah, they're black, but, like, a lot of them are not, they're not, they're not, from, they're, they're not from teenage parents who ain't had no money and who grew up, you know, in the hood. Like, you know what I'm saying? These are, these are well-to-do, they came from well-to-do families and whatever, whatever, but the conversation now is about, like, well, we got to get the black story out. But, like, there's also an economic factor in all of that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I agree. And, and I think... And then when I'm in the and, and 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 this is what pisses me off because I'm this decorated person and I have degrees or whatever, people assume that I'm like that. Like I don't want to share information or that I'm a snob and I'm an elitist. I'm the furthest things from that. You want to know any? I'm I share my resources. I don't think I don't think I'm smarter than anybody. Like we, as long as you're respectful, we could have a conversation. We could learn from each other and do all that stuff. But I be sitting in rooms and you know. I'm in a room with other black people, but they all went to Ivy League, so they all do this. And you could tell that they'd be like, uh, mm. like they'd be surprised that I have things of value to add. And I don't, I don't want other people to feel like that. Like, but I think that's why you create your art, though. I think that um, there's always going to be that level of miscommunication. There's always going to be that ounce of people taking excerpts and not fully reading the story. There's nothing we can do about that. I always say we have to we have to stay on course that we're not doing it for them. The same way your vice principal took the time out to introduce you to James Baldwin because it was it was because it because you needed that. I yeah, and I and that's part of why I want to become a professor because I want to be that for all the black kids who don't go to an HBCU who are not going to have Yeah. 
me like I want to be the professor I wish I had. And someone t- someone DM me that the other day, like when I was talking about finishing up grad school. And I was like, my next goal, I'm going to be a professor in the next six months or whatever. They were like, yo, I wish you were my professor. Like, you were the professor I, I would have needed to get through college. And I was like, yo, that made me feel really good. Um, How's motherhood? Motherhood is interesting. I mean, I definitely tell people if you don't want kids, don't have them. Don't fall to that societal pressure of, like, you're a woman of a certain age and you need to have kids. Because, like, it's fucking challenging. It's the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. But I got to get up every day and do it. Um, and so if you don't want that, I'd, but I know that like as a woman, you get frowned upon if you say you don't want to have kids or if you don't have kids by a certain age. Um, if I could, I would have a litter of kids, but you know, no, I don't want no more. So I got to be respectful for that. I'm respectful <laughs> to that. Um, um, but it seems like the, the way you guys are raising your son is amazing. I feel like it's um, it's beyond borders. Like you had your son, your son is dressed up as every cultural figure of our lifetime for Halloween, and that's and he has and it's Not duality. Everyone. But, but it's duality though. Like he did Frank. We did Frank. We did Tyler. Am I missing one? I feel like you're missing one. And well, when I think he was one, he was the El- cause Elmo. Yeah, I I think like these are things that like people just don't see, and and it's amazing to me. People don't do this. I feel like people don't do this. People don't I, do this. I don't. I I don't know. So, but my love for Frank Ocean and me being like, okay, this is probably the one Halloween because he did that. He was like eight or nine months. This is the one Halloween that I'm probably really gonna get. Um, I was like. Okay, retro, because his name's Retro Ocean. I was like, all right, you're gonna be Retro Frank Ocean. So he was Channel Orange Frank, and I don't even, I don't even think people got that deep into the costume. Mm-hmm. Like they thought I probably just picked a Frank Ocean, but it was like, nah, it was Channel, it was the Frank Ocean I, I met and fell in love with and all that stuff. So, um, well, Nostalgia Ultra, but that era of Frank Ocean, and so I was like, all right, and then he was obsessed with Elmo. Dad was really, Dad is really into cause, and you know, I let him have his white idols, but. Um, <laughs> I am joking, y'all, please. You have to know me to understand I'm not being racist. But I was like, yo, we should... So I, I hired Muggsy. I said, yo, Muggsy here, could you put the vinyl print on the eyes over the, the Elmo costume? He said, he said, bet. I posted it, and everybody was, like, amazed by it. And I'm like, these are literally just the random thoughts that I have and execute on. But I think you you have put your son in spaces that will create rivers of like things and thought like you had you've had your son like crawling in the moma before like no and, most and kids that, knew what it was and that and that's so interesting to me so we have a we have a shitload of books like i think we're almost i think we're at 800 or something i don't books and magazines and stuff and so i remember when retro was really young people were like yo he's not gonna write in your books and stuff and i'm like why would he do that like he sees me and his dad reading or doing whatever i think he'll have the respect to not do it or whatever. And so it's like, I think he's written in one book his whole life so far. And it brings me back to bringing James Baldwin back into it. James Baldwin has a quote. I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember. I'm really bad at like memorizing this stuff. But it's where it's like um, kids have a hard time listening but not emulating their elders. And so that's what I tell people. It's like, I raise retro as the 
little human that he is, because he's going to be an adult one day. And I, I want him to be able to have emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and to talk, talk. I think a lot of the ways people raise kids in which it's like kids should be seen and not heard or like don't speak to like this is an adult conversation why are you in here like I agree with some of those stuff but there is a a method to my madness like retro freely comes and tells me everything because I I try my darndest hardest I don't spank him I communicate with him when he's in trouble I let him know what he did wrong it's never like leave me alone or whatever mommy's mad or like and even when I do get mad at him and I might be I blow up I always go to him and I always apologize so that he knows that it's not okay to get in a fight with somebody and then just act like nothing happened. Like, I think that all of that is so important. And it, a lot of what, especially now when I'm in therapy, a lot of the triggers I have or a lot of the self, um, the defense mechanisms I have can be traced back to things I wasn't allowed to do as a kid or things that nobody spoke to me about. Um, so like when people are like, oh, you're such a liberated woman. And I'm like, yeah, my mom had her flaws, but she made sure I knew about sex when I was young enough to not fully understand, but to have an idea about it. So when I started having sex, I was in a better position to be like, yeah, I don't like that. Or like, no, nah, I don't want to do that or whatever. And I feel like when women are crafted or little girls are crafted to behave a certain way, they're less likely to speak up. And that's humans in general, but I'm just speaking of the whatever. They're less likely to speak up. I picked up Retro from school one day. He's in pre-K, I mean, 3K. And the teacher was like, it wasn't even, I picked him up. It was parent-teacher conference. And the teacher was like, Retro has something that even I don't have as an adult. And I'm like, the hell? She was like, Retro is so self-aware. If he don't want to do something, he's going to let you know you don't want to do it. And she said, you should be very proud of that. And I was like, that's my goal as a parent. My goal as a parent is to create this full-fledged human who is respectful to everyone, who understands what he wants, and who has a interesting view I want him to know I want him to have access to everything not only not the stuff I couldn't have when I was younger uh, but also the knowledge that I didn't have or that I got later in life the earlier I can input it in him I know that he's going to be better off um, you know like when Jay-Z said he want to cut the time in half or whatever on the song it's like yo that's really the life I'm aiming for I want I don't want to give him any of my burdens or my trauma that's why I'm in her therapy working on it because a lot of like I, I, I wrote an academic piece about like why I don't spank him. And when I was writing that, I went through all the times that I knew my mom was just mad at the world and came home and beat my ass. Not necessarily, yeah, I did something wrong, but you know, like you could feel that like something else was going on here, but you know, she yeah. she didn't talk about it or like whatever. So now I'm like, yo, I'm really mad. Like Rachel, give me a minute. I'm gonna come back to you. Um, but, but yeah, like my son is, my mommy, I made a mess. Mommy, I broke this thing. Mommy, da 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 da. Daddy said this, da 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 da. Or why? Or how? Why? Like, ask all the questions you want. It's never gonna. I'm never gonna be that mom on the train. Like, be quiet, sit down. Why, mommy? Why is the sky blue? I don't know, but I'm gonna find out for you. That's amazing. So, and that's my only like really real goal. I know a lot of people. When I do post retro, because I try not to post him in public all the time anymore, just because of some of the negative. I don't want the negativity that I get to, for him to have to take on. So I know a lot of people will be like, oh, Retro has all these sneakers or Retro dresses like this. And I be like, and when people say that or like dress him like a little kid and I'm like, yo, Retro picks out his clothes. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, I give him options. Like, Retro, these are all the things mommy likes, which one you like or whatever. Like, I let him do all that crazy shit. And I'm like, cause yeah, at three years old, I didn't have no opinions. If, if Retro wants to go outside in a cape, I, as long as you're warm or whatever. Um, and, and I think that that is important. Um, 
but I look at like he's three, but he's been here before. And I know that's like a joke, a running joke that like black people say that about their kids. But like that is a very wise little boy. He has taught me so much about myself. He he has been the mirror I needed because a lot of the stuff that I feel like self-conscious about, I see those are traits that he has and he don't give a fuck. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he wants to he wants to wear his afro. He don't want braids. And that warms my heart so much because it's like, yo, my son really black as fuck. Like, yo, that shit makes me so happy. Um, and he, he embraces it. Like, just, yo, I'm here. This is me, and you're going to accept me. And I, I wish I had an inkling of that. Like, cause I, I, because I've always had to exist in isolation, I always hide myself. Like, I'm not going to be somebody that's at a party and go introduce myself to nobody. I'm going to sit till somebody comes up to speak to me. I oh, no, nah, I got to see everybody. My, I bring retro anywhere. Hi, what's like you just saw? What's your well, name? Me and blah retro, blah blah. Before you know? this interview, me and retro had a full conversation about his uh, his teacher, his friends. Uh, he told me he can count to fifty. He, he can knew, count to hundred though. But. Yeah, he was just like, "This is all you're getting today." Uh, um, he like, told yeah, me all about my colors. So. Yeah, he, his favorite color is teal, and I remember I posted that one day, and somebody was like, "I didn't know what teal was till I was like eight. And I'm like, "Yo, he's very much into music and sounds and art." Any any interest my kid has, I allow Cooking him to too, explore. I see. He loves to cook, and the interesting thing, thing about that is that my grandma was a chef. Um, God rest her soul. And like I remember when I was younger, I was a really picky eater, and that was like my road dog. Like she would make me my separate meal, and that's also why I do that for restaurant because I'm like, yo, my grandma did that for me. But then looking about it, I wrote this really powerful essay about her, and I was like, looking at all the ways that she had to fold to patriarchy and like society and like doing what her husband wanted as opposed to what she wanted. So when I look at Retro and his love for cooking, I'd be like, yo, that's my grandma. Like, I really, like, that's my grandma talking to me from wherever she's at. Or, you know, I think that when people die, they come back as other people. I'd be telling people, yeah, that's that's my grandma. She just came back as Retro. Yo, Chrissy, this has been amazing. <laughs> um, I'm so thankful that you agreed to do this. Thank you for having me. I'm trying to get out of my old leave me alone Nobody talked to me, not sharing my thoughts with the world. Because um, I understand, the, I under, because of the negative stuff that I get when I post certain shit, I understand the value of what I do. Because I realize when people are upset at me just posting facts, because I try not to post my opinion, or if I am posting my opinion, it's always also followed up with, this is why mm. I feel this way, this is my experience, here are examples of why this is bad. Um... And so I realized that I am forcing people to look at the ways in which they contribute to making other people feel uncomfortable, and they don't like that, and that's why they said something to me. Because, like, why the fuck do you care if I have my son in nail polish? I thought it was powerful. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was amazing. My son asked, mm-hmm. like, uh, call me if you get lost has been that, King's mm-hmm. Disease too have been, like, I play those things down, Kit Cuddy, like. So um, also in that post of him being Tyler for Halloween, I also included him coming and asking me if he could wear nail polish and me telling him, go ask his dad. And his dad said, no, you're too young. And I said, okay, but you know, whatever. Then I said, you could do it for Halloween. My son remembered that. He said, oh, I want to be Tyler. I said, okay. He said, I want to be Yoshi and I want to be Tyler. So when we went to the first Halloween party, he was Yoshi. When we went to the, and it was so interesting because, and this is how I know I do a good job and like gender roles is not a shit. I said, oh, what mommy's going to be? And he said, mommy, you're going to be Mario, not Princess Peach. Not he, You're going to be Mario. I said, you know, I'm going to be Mario for this little kid. Uh, but of course, all of the women-sized Mario's things were skirts. But whatever, I put on a skirt. But um, you know, so it's just like, yo, like. I think you're well on your way, and I think I'm <laughs> glad to see that you're um, 
You're owning your greatness. I'm going to try. Everybody tells me I need to, so I'm going to try. I am going to, I tweeted this out, and I guess we can end here. I said, someone told me I changed their life at work, um, and all I did was offer her, like, I fought for her to get a raise, like, because I knew, like, yo, I'm, like, pay this girl what she's worth or whatever. Under, like, just graduated college. She was already doing an internship there, brought her on as a part-timer, made sure she got the rate that all the other part-timers were getting. And she really thanked me. She said, yo, you really changed my life because that extra little bit of money is going to allow me to pay off this debt or do this. So, you know, now I have to get a second job. Um, and I tweeted, I was like, yo, the amount of people that have told me that they sa- that I've saved their lives is is kind of astonishing. And I need to start seeing myself the way other people see me. And I remember a lot of people were like retweeting it and talking about me. But one thing that struck me specifically is that my friend Shenda was like, yo, Let's also talk about the amount of people that I have met through Clubhouse or something that have said, oh, you know, Chrissy, she did ah for me. And I'd be like, I don't even remember doing that. But, like, that's who I am as a person. Like, I'm, I'm going to help you out because I know people need help. Like, life is fucking hard. Um, but that's who I am. Like, I'm not a mean girl. Like, I feel like people get that aura from me because they think I'm this, like, super educated fly girl who's not ever going to share, like, the re- – I'm like – I. Oh, I bought this here. I bought that there. Like, oh, yeah, or this is the book I'm reading. Or, nigga, you asked me about a book. I told myself I'm going to stop saying the N-word, but I'm sorry. You asked me about, like, people people ask me about a book. I'm probably going to send a book to them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's just who I am. And I'm not sure why I'm like that. But I think everybody deserves to have equity in life and just live a life where you can just, like, be free and not stressed. I spent too much of my life fucking stressed out. I want I want people to be joyous. I want them to be happy. I want them to be proud to be black. I want them to be proud to be a woman. I want them to understand that as a woman, like you really are the foundation of society, bro. Cause y'all raising the kids. Y'all y'all men don't like that when I say y'all are toxic. Y'all got toxic masculinity from y'all mama, but whatever. But you know that's just Chrissy. that's just who I am. Um, Chrissy, where can the people find you? And if they can, want to find you, if you would if you like to, to find, find me, um. Raw Savvy everywhere. So R-A-W-R-S-A-V-V-Y. Well, not literally everywhere, but... Uh, Most places. Even if it's not the at, it's the name. So you can just find me there. Uh, my DMs are open if you want to have any type of conversation. You want book recommendations. You just want to talk about fly black people shit. And on there, you'll also find my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash savspen, S-A-V-V-S-P-E-N. Um... And yeah, some I, I post free things on there. I post things on tears. I'm going to start posting more. Grad school kind of like kicked my ass, so I haven't posted in a while. And I guess this will be also the time um, because I've been able in a pandemic to secure a job that literally has changed the course of my life and I hope has changed my son's life. I have not withdrawn any of the money on my Patreon in the last year, and I'm going to be giving it away. That's beautiful. You heard that here first, guys. Yeah, that, that's exclusive because I didn't even announce it nowhere else yet, though. But yeah. Guys, as always, I am Robbie Digital. This is live from the Stoop Podcast. Until next time, let's go.